0: Community Conversations, with Community Centres SA. Here's Kerry Ackermans. How can age-old legacies who've derived income from the past impact today's society and evolve in transition? This is something that the Wyatt Trust has done successfully, and they have been supporting South Australians since 1886. The Trust is named after Dr William Wyatt, an English settler who arrived in Australia in 1837 and with no surviving heirs, Dr Wyatt used the funds he had derived from land purchases to establish a trust for the benefit of his fellow South Australians, many of whom here witnessed struggle with adversity and poverty. I'm talking to Stacey Thomas, Chief Executive Officer of the Wyatt Trust, about how the organisation has evolved and is as relevant today and how it is helping individuals and organisations helping individuals to better their lives. Stacey, have you been involved in this type of work for a long time? What's led you to be the CEO of the Wyatt Trust?
1: Yeah, I have been involved in this kind of work for some time in the philanthropic sector. But when it comes to the Wyatt Trust, I actually started in 2019 and what led me to Wyatt was really the social justice values of the organisation and that being a good alignment for my personal values and wanting to make a difference in that area.
0: So philanthropy, if we look at what's happened with COVID and now we have cost of living, it's an interesting space, isn't it, Stacey? Now, the Wyatt Trust has been around, as we know, since 1886, long time. Is it difficult to keep it going over time? How do you like keep those coffers filled? Can you just go into that background of how that works? Sure.
1: We're in an incredibly privileged position in that our wealth is derived from a bequest. So Dr. William White when he passed away in 1886, he had an unfortunate story where his five children had predeceased him. And so as a result, he left the the bulk of his estate to the White Benevolent Institution. So we don't actively fundraise, although we have over the years received donations and bequests, but we invest our corpus and are able to give away the income that we generate each year.
0: That's just amazing isn't it to think that that perpetuity is in place and originally that idea was that focusing on individuals and you've been around a really long time. How does an organisation of your size and length of period of being in existence evolve over time? It's
1: a really interesting story, Kerry, in that when we started, the colonies here in South Australia, we now know as South Australia, of course, there weren't many people here. And so Dr Wyatt wanted to leave his money to the institution to enable people that didn't have another income to be able to live. And so in the very early days, the Wyatt Trust was making annuities and actually paying individuals small sums of money every month once they had retired or were no longer able to work because, of course, there was no HP or any kind of pension that didn't come in until 1909. So that's what we were doing for many, many years. And it wasn't until uh, later on in the 20th century that we started to look at the different ways that we could be supporting people rather than just paying an individual annuity. And over time, that has changed, the practice has changed, and now fast forward to the current day, we're more of a traditional sort of foundation or, or philanthropic institution where we do support organisations that then go out and do the work to support the people in need.
0: Are you still directly supporting individuals, Stacey, or is it mainly organisations doing the work?
1: We do a combination of both. So our direct grants, the grants that directly support individuals, is what we're known for and it's what we will continue to do, but it is a smaller portion of our grant making now.
0: And who makes these decisions? Is there a board that sit and make the decisions for the direction of the organisation and where money is gifted to?
1: So we do have a board. Uh, we have seven volunteer, uh, we call them governors, which I think again is a throwback to the language mm. that would have been used in the day. So our board of governors absolutely oversee the strategic direction of the organisation, but we do also have a staff team of 12 that are able to then go out and operationalise that strategy.
0: So can you just take us through some of the stories, Stacey, of the sort of work that you have done in the past and to where you are now?
1: Sure. So as I said, in the past, particularly early days, we were doing that individual support annuities, working directly with people. Our first employees at the Wyatt Trust were social workers, so they were really involved in going out there and meeting with people where they were at and making determinations about where support could be needed. We also had a lot of property So back in the day, we were, I guess, a quasi property developer and landlord where we would develop units, whether they were retirement units or or otherwise, and enable people on a low income to be able to live in those units. And it was only in the last 10 years that the last of the housing stock that we had has actually been sold off. So we no longer act as a landlord or have that housing stock. So you
0: don't have any anymore because that was a long history that you had property.
1: Yeah, that's correct. The board made the decision about 10 years ago that it really wasn't the best. We didn't have the right skill set to be able to maintain that. And so went through quite a concerted effort to find the right organisation that would be able to take on that housing stock that was already in the housing space.
0: And, of course, now homelessness is a massive issue, isn't it, for people?
1: Oh, absolutely, and we're seeing with the, the cost of living as well and particularly the private rental market, there are people that are experiencing homelessness and housing issues that a number of years ago you just wouldn't have expected to have seen and that's only going to continue to increase.
0: So we are seeing it across the board. What specific programs have the White Trust put in place to address this?
1: So there is only so much that we can do in terms of being able to address cost of living and homelessness. But one of the things that we do with our programs now, which has evolved over time, is really making sure that the decision-making and the onus on what a person needs to be able to stabilise their situation, if you will, that decision-making is with those individuals and service providers. So we're no longer a team of social workers trying to, to make those determinations. Instead, we're trying to empower people to do that. So some of the programs that we're supporting One would be, an obvious one when we're talking about homelessness, is around housing support and what a person needs to either maintain a tenancy, because of course we would rather have someone maintain their tenancy rather than get evicted and then be homeless, or what does someone need to help them establish a new tenancy. So we do a lot of work around, and sometimes it's really practical work, around to stop someone getting evicted, perhaps we're supporting them by paying rent arrears, paying utility bills, paying for a skip and a big clean-up if that's an issue for them in maintaining their tenancy. And then, likewise, when people are trying to establish a new tenancy, we might be helping support them by paying, whether it's a part of a bond, whether it's furniture or things that they need to be able to move into that new home. The other big area that we work in is financial counselling. So understanding that the people that support people to not only manage their finances but advocate on their behalf... So if you're a financial counsellor and someone comes to you in stress with their financial situation, you can call the utilities or you can call the companies to whom these people owe money and actually advocate to have those bills waived or reduced. And sometimes it can tip in a little bit of money, which then actually helps the utilities company say, okay, well, if you can pay X amount, we'll waive the rest of the bill.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Now, Stacey, it would sound to me that there would be far more need than what you'd have ability to service. So how do you select people and how do people find out about this opportunity?
1: Absolutely. And and unfortunately, we're only ever going to be a drop in the ocean. So we work with organisations. Often we don't refer directly to individuals. We like them to come through service organisations that are already doing the work. And that way we know they've got other added supports that they're accessing, not just our financial support. So we can have at any one time. Up to about 90 organisations that we're working with, that we have a relationship with, that we fund to then go and provide this support.
0: I'm talking to Stacey Thomas, the CEO of the Wyatt Trust. Stacey, with those organisations, now you said it was 90. That's obviously grown over time. How do you also select whom you work with? That because the referral is very important. You need to have that trust, don't you, that it's going to the right person?
1: Yeah, that's right. So a lot of the organisations that we're working with, we have been working with for decades. But Adelaide is not not a big place, so it, it is small sector and everyone knows each other reasonably well and so we're able to understand what programs these service organisations are offering and whether they're a good fit for us. But we have values as an organisation around elevating unheard voices and around compassion and transparency and so we're looking to work with organisations that we would consider being values aligned, and then when we have that values alignment, we're able to build the trust quite quickly around the delivery of the programs.
0: Now, one of those areas that has been something that all organisations are now looking at it, how they can bring into the fore is reconciliation, and it's been a big topic of discussion for you last year. What does it mean for a trust that's really been steeped in colonial history?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It certainly Not something that we have ever hidden from, particularly this century, and I know that that sounds strange in and of itself, but we understand and have publicly acknowledged that the wealth of the Wyatt Trust was derived from land that Dr Wyatt purchased from the South Australian company, and of course that land was never ceded. So what does this mean for us and and our values? We've done a lot of work in recent times around trying to unpack that a bit more. I think it's not enough to just acknowledge where our wealth has come from. We need to understand a bit more about what that means for how we show up today, but how we also want to show up tomorrow. And last year, we commissioned a piece of research done by an Aboriginal historian, Dr Jenny Caruso. And Aunty Jenny delivered a report to us, which was around the 50 years that Dr. Wyatt was alive here in Adelaide. And and what did he do? What were his interactions? What was it like being here in this time? And from an Aboriginal perspective, so we have history that's been written through a lens of commemorating the work of Dr. Wyatt, but we wanted to be able to flip that on its head and look at it from an Aboriginal perspective. And so we did, that was a 12-month research project, and we did receive that report last year, and are now currently working through, well, what does it mean for us in our decision making? What does it mean for us in how we share that power? And these are the kinds of things that we'll be looking to really address in the coming years.
0: What I love about this, Stacey, is that we have seen a lot of past figures whose wealth and their abilities has enabled people of today to live better lives, but because of how they made that money, statues are pulled down, people will no longer talk about them, etc. But it sounds to me like you observe that acknowledge that but are positively moving forward
1: yeah and we want to do that in in a way that the community are comfortable with as well we have been around for almost 140 years we can't one day turn around and change the narrative there's so much history so we do need to do it together as a community
0: and look what you are doing with that money it is going towards positive programs and it's empowering individuals to change their lives for the better
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: I know, Stacey, you also have a focus on women's needs as well with domestic violence. Can you share what you're doing in that space?
1: Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we commissioned some research to understand the levers around poverty and how people end up in poverty and and perhaps also how they stay there and how it's hard to get out. And what came out was the fact that women over the age of 50, as well as sole parents and sole carers, the majority of whom are, are women, are most susceptible to experiencing poverty and staying in there. So we wanted to do some work specifically in that area. And as a team, sort of sat there and thought, well, what would it mean if we worked with women over the age of 50 and sole parents and sole carers to design what it was that we were going to do? And so we went on a process over about 18 months of working with a core team of 40 people with lived and living experience of financial hardship. And... A lot of the times domestic violence was a theme that ran through that for those women as well and tried to design something that we could then fund that they felt would have been helpful to them in their time of need.
0: So what sorts of things did they feel would be helpful to them?
1: The number one thing that came out of that and the theme that ultimately has been designed into the program is that when a person is either not yet at crisis point but on the way or in crisis, The system is so hard to navigate. There are so many different organisations, so many different phone numbers and websites, and you just kind of get shafted from one thing to the next. And what they wanted was... We're using the word linker. I don't know if it will remain that. But they wanted someone that would actually help navigate that system and link them into the things that they needed. But most importantly, it wasn't a case manager. It was someone that was there as a support. But when the women felt strong enough to be able to do it on their own, because of course, some days are good and some days aren't, that that person could then step back and the women were empowered to do the things that they needed to do. So we've been working with seven organisations to try and Develop that as a service, we've been prototyping it, and from July this year we're hoping to be able to deliver that within those organisations.
0: So you're getting some good results so far?
1: Yeah, the feedback has been really positive, but of course we'll have to continue to to test that and evaluate that and keep adapting it to make sure that it does continue to be helpful.
0: So taking us into the future then, Stacey, if you were to say the Wyatt Trust in another hundred years... (laughs) what would you like to see it doing or is there any, what are your thoughts around that? I know that's a long projection, but you look at what you've changed in the time already.
1: Well, I mean, where we want to see, we can only fund in South Australia and we operate ourselves out of South Australia here in Adelaide. What we want to see is a South Australia free from poverty. Now, it's very aspirational, but in 100 years' time, I'd like to be able to think that we can clearly see how some of the work that Wyatt has done and is doing has led to a significant reduction of poverty here in this state.
0: And most of your programs, well, not all of your programs, is that sustainability aspect, isn't it, Stacey, that it's not just for here's a quick fix, it's that teaching to fish, that opportunity to empower the individuals within the organisations you're supporting.
1: Yeah, as much as possible. I mean, that's different for different people, and we need to acknowledge that. But a good example I was looking at recently was a woman that had actually left a a domestic violence relationship and had to move into a private rental. But on her income in that particular private rental, she couldn't afford to then pay her TAFE fees for interpreting and translating. And TAFE excluded her from completing her assessments in the course until those fees had been paid. And so where Wyatt was able to come in was pay those fees so she could complete the course and then she began seeking employment as a qualified translator. So they're the kinds of things that we're really looking to try and shift the dial, even if it is just for an individual rather than a system, but to ensure that they've got that leg up.
0: And that's tailored practical help.
1: And it it is, it's different for every person and we need to be able to respond to that.
0: So Stacey, in today's climate, as you mentioned, with this cost of living, you're saying that the trust is self-sufficient. But is there anything that the community, or is this really just an awareness exercise for people to know, but is there anything the community can do or that you would like them to know about the Wyatt Trust?
1: We would love for people to know that we exist. So, as as I said, we're fortunate enough that we do have a corpus. If people did want to make a donation to an organisation like ours, of course it would be gratefully received. But I think more than anything, it's important that people know that we're here. So in the past, it's really only been social workers and people in the service delivery side of organisations that know that we're a resource and I think the more people that know that we're here and the kind of work that we're doing, the less stigma there's going to be around poverty because we are all only one life event away from being in financial hardship and so it shouldn't be this dirty thing that happens behind closed doors where people have to get support. If everyone knows what we're doing and where we are then I think that's actually helpful for the broader conversation around financial hardship.
0: Absolutely, so how do people donate or help raise- your profile.
1: So our website, wyatt.org.au is a great place to start. We have a newsletter you're very welcome to subscribe to from our website and really just keeping on top of the work that we're doing and sharing that with friends and colleagues would be wonderful.
0: Well, I thank you for coming on the podcast today, Stacey. That was really valuable information and the Wyatt Trust is doing amazing work and I love the transition and the evolution of the organisation.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. These podcasts bring you stories from across the state of South Australia, all of the great work being done in our communities and general topics of community interest. Feel free to share these podcasts with your networks and send us any feedback to info at communitycentressa.asn.au. Community Conversations. For more information, check out communitycentressa.asn.au.